Well, friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans and chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, this morning as we are studying your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit be the teacher here today. Lead and guide every word and help us to understand the truth of your word, that we might live in a way that honors you. Change us here for Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. You know, there's, there's something genuinely disappointing about being out in nature, on a beach, or in the woods, and discovering that someone has left behind bottles, and wrappers, and bags, and cigarette butts, and... Yeah, I mean, you may not feel as strongly as I do, but I, I have to admit, this kind of behavior does it, it but befuddles me, if I can use such a term. <laughs> I can still hear my parents say, maybe you heard your parents say the same. Whenever you go to someone's house, always leave it in better shape than where you found it. Yeah, I see some ears going up. Yep, my, my parents went to that club too. <laughs> Good behavior, right? Leave it in better shape than what you found it. You borrow someone's car, you fill the tank. Yeah? Anybody want me to borrow their car? <laughs> yeah. I think this uh, same principle, my friends, is true for me and my marriage. I feel that it is my responsibility to, f to, to do what God has called me to do, to live the kind of life that helps Melanie become more than she was, to leave her in better shape than when I found her responsibility. Same thing is true in your life as a follower of Christ as well. You know, the Lord saved you in order that you might be changed and that one day you would live with him forever. One thing that the Lord did not expect from you and I is that we would stay the same before we were saved as we were after. It ought not to be named among us, my friend. It's one of the difficulties in evangelism. You know what makes it hard for the church to reach the lost? The church. When they, they know someone. It may not be you, doesn't even have to be you, but you're somebody's somebody. You know, somebody's praying for somebody you work with, maybe. And they're just hoping that there's a Christian at work that will live well in front of them and maybe even share the gospel. You ever think about that, friends? We're here in our study in the book of Romans, just uh, by way of review, I would suggest. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul has talked about the need for righteousness being the key word here in the book of Romans. In chapters 4 and 5, the imputation of right, God's righteousness. How do sinners become righteous? Well, it's not by hard work or following a list of rules but by trusting in Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Jesus is put in our account, imputed righteousness. The next section, which we begin today, is in chapters 6 through 8. 
And this is the impartation of righteousness. Nobody uses the word impartation, but it sure fit my outline well. (laughs) And what we're talking about here is the practical application of righteousness. What it looks like for those who have been counted in the sight of God as righteous to live it out. So again, here in, uh, in chapter 6, we find that uh, he, Paul is talking about dealing with believers who are dead to sin, and that's you and I. Chapter 7, of course, will be believers being dead to the law, and chapter 8, with believers alive in the Spirit. Fascinating stuff ahead here, my friends, and truly understanding our salvation. Our salvation has three aspects to it. When somebody says, talks about, I'm saved, and what they mean is they're in the, uh, the first two sections of salvation. One is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. You've heard me say this before. You know why I repeat it? So that you can, in your own mind, and understand these things. We are saved from the penalty of sin when we put our trust in Jesus. But again, part of that salvation is us being saved from the power of sin. In other words, we do not let sin reign in our life. Righteousness reigns. Ultimately, the thing we talk about a lot is being saved from the very presence of sin. That, my friends, is glory. Glory. Indeed. So, my friends... Here in verse 1, Paul asks two questions in this passage. Two questions. The first question is found here in verse 1, and it reads like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, in chapter 5, Paul said, wherever there is sin, there is grace. There is grace. And so... People accused Paul of saying this very thing. Go ahead and continue to sin. Don't worry about it. There is plenty of grace to go around. Paul, of course, says in in verse 2, he says, by no means. Now, that doesn't sound as strong as what it sounds like in the Greek. Meganoito. Absolutely, positively, absolutely, no way, Uh uh-uh. Very, very, very strong statement. No, we shall not continue in sin that grace might abound. And then Paul tells us why. And he gives us here, my friends, three reasons why we ought not to continue to live as we once did. In verse 2, he says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And he uses this expression, he says, do you not know? And, of course, we can understand this is a statement prefacing a self-evident truth, something you ought to already know. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in resurrection, I'm sorry, for we have been united with him in death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. Now, the baptism that Paul is talking about, and there are two kinds of baptism. One is water baptism, which is what we primarily think of when we think of baptism. You know, and the word baptize means to dip. It means to go under, not sprinkle, not hose, not, you know, fire hose or anything else. It means to go under. And this represented your association with Jesus. In the New Testament, as this began, people were baptized in the name of Jesus. But there is a different kind of baptism. It is spirit baptism. Now, spirit baptism is nothing more than this. The moment that you trusted in Christ, you were baptized into the church. You didn't feel it. You didn't see it. You didn't need a towel afterward. You were placed into the church, and this is done by the Spirit of God. You know, this, this imputed righteousness, it was never on a piece of paper, but before God, these things are true. And we're talking about truths that are positional, things that we don't act on or things that we don't have to do ourselves, but are done in our place or for us. So... We have been baptized into his death. In other words, when Jesus died for sin, friends, so should have we. When we came to faith in Jesus and we recognized the cost of a penalty for our sin was death and that Jesus died in our place, we start to look at sin differently, don't we? Oh, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I'll tell you what. If my wife had been killed by some semi, every time I saw a semi, I'd look at it differently. Safe drivers, though they may be, I think different about it. And we ought to think differently about our sin, my friends. We ought not let it just continue to reign in our lives. So we have died to sin. You know what dead people like to do? <laughs> Nothing, they're dead. They don't smell dinner and go, mmm, I'm hungry. That's what we're talking about here, my friends. That's how we ought to respond to sin. I'm not the least bit interested in that. You know, I know your question, how do we get there, though? Because we have this sin nature that craves selfishness. Me, 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 me. The me monster. How do we overcome that? We'll get there. You'll hear about it this morning, how the Lord lays out for us through the Apostle Paul some very important practices we should take. But understand, the first reason we should, we should not continue to sin is because we've died to sin. But notice also in verse 6, we've been set free from sin. Sin is a master that rules over your life. And the Lord has set us free. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. New life, my friends. New master. Oh, new master, my friends. And so, my friends, hear carefully. Oh, people of God, we have died to sin. 
What are we playing with that stuff for? We have been set free from sin. And thirdly, is that a word? Yes. Practices that enable us to live righteously. And here it is. Buckle up, friends, and grab a pencil. Highlight this stuff in your Bible. Take a piece of paper. Rip out something from Leviticus. You don't read it anyway. I'm kidding, okay? You should be reading. Sorry about that. <coughs> but here's what Paul lays out for us, some very, very, very practical application of how we can live in a holy, righteous way. He says, now if we have died with Christ, this is verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. See, Paul is emphasizing here, this new life that is in Jesus ought to be in us as well. So... You must also consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Now this word consider, it means to think about yourself as, I don't do that anymore. Consider, to think this way. You are dead to sin. I don't sin anymore. That is the way that we think, and our practice will follow our thoughts, as they always do. And so we must think that we are dead to sin, so we don't participate in that. We don't do that. In this world, people do all sorts of crazy things and harmful things to other people, and we think to ourselves, I would never do that. That is how we must think about sin. Consider yourself dead to sin. Number two at the end of verse 11, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I live for him. That which I do in my life, I do for him. The way I relate to the people around me, him, I do for him. I live for him. I belong to him. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. That statement means that Christ has made that possible for us. Here in verse 12, very practical. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And that's how sin works. Suddenly a thought in the mind. You know, there's some cheesecake in the refrigerator. It's always how it starts. A thought. You know, nobody's looking. I could take that right now. I could take that and put that in my pocket and no one would know. Apparently, there's a thing at grocery stores that people take expensive items and when they check it out, they... They use a, 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 a green pepper as the scan code, and they steal things this way. 
People are clever in their sins. But we've got to catch the stuff in our thoughts. That's where it starts. And how do we do it? Well, we fill our minds with things that are right and good. That's why we read the Word of God. That's why we listen to preachers on the radio or on the Internet. Or, or sometimes we just play the Word of God audibly as we drive. I know some people do that. And we fill our, cell, our heads with truth. And you know what we think about? Truth. But if you fill your head, my friend, with unrighteousness, it's going to work its way out. So consider yourself dead. Consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself alive to God. This. Consider yourself alive to God. You live for him. Do not let sin reign in you. You shall not be the slave of righteousness or unrighteousness because you have been delivered by the one who is righteous. And then notice number four. Present your members. This is a good one here, friends. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. You know what he's saying here? These ears, these belong to God. I present my ears as means of God, of, of God's use. This, this word present, this word present means um, uh, to put at someone's disposal. Here, Lord, use these hands. Here, Lord, use these ears. Here, Lord, use this tongue. And we present all of the parts of who we are to God to be used by him. These hands belong to God. Will I, will I work unrighteousness with these hands? I will not. I will not. Think it all through. Your feet, your ears, your nose, your mouth, all of your senses, all that you are. Present them to God. They belong to him. I will not use them in such a way. Your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, your tongue. It's like Job chapter 31. Job chapter 31. What a passage. What an example <coughs> Job is for us. In Job chapter 31 verses 1 to 8, it starts with Job making a covenant with his eyes. Things I will never do with my eyes. He says in verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? I will not look where I ought not to look. I wonder if men, you've practiced this, since men particularly work in this way. Not, women are not immune to such things, but I will not look at that which I ought, look, I ought not to look at. 
I will look away. I will turn my ears away to a conversation that I ought not to be a part of. I will turn away. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? I mean, what would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty and High? Is not calamity for the right unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes and any spot has stuck to my hands, and let me sow and another man eat, and let what grows for me be rooted out. That's a covenant. I will not allow these hands to be used for that which dishonors God, or this tongue, or these ears, or these feet. None of it. Some pretty practical stuff, huh? So you go home today and you get one of those permanent markers, God's. Now, it's not the practical application you need, but you need to think this way. I will not. And so when temptation comes along like Joseph, you say, no, I will not do this. If I handed you a gun and said, hey, I want you to shoot some guy that's going to... You say, no, I'm not going to... Why? And what if I distract him and you can take his stuff? I mean, where do we need to go to get you to... Friends, oh... What is the temptation that clicks for you? Friends, oh, you must fight against it. You must fight it. You must recognize it. And say, Lord, I will not do this. And I will not dishonor you in this. We sang that song about God's great, great love for us. How could we do that to a God who loves us so much? We read an account about someone giving men things that do not belong to them. An opportunity to do something to demonstrate their love. One goes out and trades and double. The other does the same. And another says, eh, I'm going to bury this. Don't bury it, my friends. Now, here's what the evil one is going to do. By the time you get to your car, you'll be talking about something else. And by the time you're done with lunch, you won't remember what we talked about. What is your plan? What is your plan? Question number two. Like, feel free to look at your watch. Usually we're done by now. But I'm staying until three, so. <laughs> I'll tell you what, friends. Why don't we leave this to next week? Why don't we stop right here? And in the quietness, before we start up the music, give some time for quiet prayer and meditation.
and make a plan to put this into your life. Put it into the works. What are you going to do to remember these things? These hands belong to God. That foot doesn't step on the, the gas to go over the speed limit because God has instructed us to live well in the culture he has planted us and to seek its good. Father, help us. Because, Father, I fear that too many of us have never really even planned on sinning less. We just sin differently. Help us to live a life of righteousness, that we might be the salt and light, and that the trash of our life will not get in the way of those who would believe. Oh, help us, Father. Humble us, that we would see our frailty. We're slaves of sin, and we didn't even know it. Oh, you've set us free. Help us to live as men and women who are free to live in righteousness. And this I pray in Jesus' name.